0: You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for the Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Everybody, welcome to another Broken People podcast, hopefully with a bit more light on me this time because I've got to have the curtains closed in order to shut out the sunlight because unfortunately we are starting to approach another heatwave in the UK, which means I'm going to be roasting. I'm already roasting today, but I got to have the window shut because I can't trust kids to have a volume control outside. So I'm using the ring light that I use for my videos to add a bit more light into this room. So hopefully I don't appear quite so dark as it has been commented before. But under NATO, that, though, welcome to, I think, episode 55. I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to double check, actually. This is where I forget. Yep, it is 55. Get with the program, Luke, uh, of the podcast, The Broken People Sunday Show. And yeah, it's been quite a full couple of weeks, I must admit. I mean, I've had to burn the midnight oil in order to get some of the video content out lately, which, of course, you know, people have been enjoying, which is all really good. So hopefully that will start showing up. But yes, we got the Acropolis review. So the the game that won an award at the UK Games Expo, I recommend you give that video a look because it will fly under the radar of most people and I think you need to know about it. Uh, The Top 10 Games retrospective look of 2021 is not picking up as much mileage as I thought it would. I thought these retrospective looks were usually a bit more popular, but I mean, you know, I can't complain about the views at the moment, but I mean, yeah, I thought it would... uh take off a little bit quicker but as i say i still really enjoyed that video so you know and it really did change quite a bit from the last list so it's good to take a second look at last year uh the kickstarter video has gone quite well actually i mean it's done much better than i thought it was i mean i know it's july 24th it's quite a while ago but it's a pretty good view count and there's been a lot of positive comments for continuing that so it will i'll do one every month middle of the month or so so give it another week and i'll probably put out the august edition of course you know the quality of the kickstarters is going to depend entirely on what kickstarters are actually out i mean july had a lot of good kickstarters to talk about i don't know if august is really going to have the same kind of caliber but we'll see you know it will be longer it will be shorter as necessary but thank you to everybody who said that the audio wasn't bad on that because i honestly don't know what you're thinking because honestly the audio was bad it was really bad I had echo cancellation on, and that basically sabotages any kind of audio you have. And yet everybody was like, no, the audio is fine. We can hear it. I didn't really notice any difference. You had to have noticed the difference, surely. I can't imagine my normal audio was as bad as that was. But hey, if you liked it fine, then who am I to complain again? But yeah, suffice to say, the audio in the future will be better, because I now check every single time that echo cancellation is off. Uh, what else we got we got uh, well we had last show top filler games was there anything else I did I think those are the only videos I've put out although we will talk about uh, other events I've been to so yeah there is more video content on the way uh, it's just like I said I've had quite a busy couple of weeks the the top 100 is like prepared um, in the sense of the spreadsheet, it has been drafted. So I've done the ranking system. I now need to tweak the spreadsheet because I've already gone through the spreadsheet and I'm already noticing anomalies. Like some games are like, how could that be so much higher or lower compared to last year? Hang on, let's have another look. Because you do have to tweak them sometimes and just give them a once over to go, that doesn't seem right. That seems out of place. Maybe I forgot something. Maybe I forgot a game entirely. And so it's just going through the tweaking process. But yeah, at some point in August, I'll be starting it off and what I'll probably do is I'll do it in the top 10 list format pre-recorded and what I'll do is I'll probably race through them a little bit quicker than a normal top 10 video. So I won't spend so much time talking about each game particularly for say the bottom 50. You know when I get to the top 50 I might slow down a bit and then obviously when I get to like the, the top 30 top 20 games I will obviously slow down and take it like a normal top 10 video but if I do the full length top 10 video for every single part of the top 100 I will die (laughs) literally die i will not be able to keep up with that uh what else is planned uh there's plenty more reviews on the way uh i've already just done one for acropolis tiny towns has been rendered um older games sent a welcome pack to a bunch of reviewers which included tiny towns and point salad in it i've already got point salad so i'll have to maybe do that as a giveaway or just donate it to the cafe perhaps because i don't think they've got a copy of point salad so i might donate it to the game cafe but tiny towns i hadn't reviewed before so i've done a quick review on that but then i've also got creature comforts i've also got uh the great plains i've also got uh radlands i've also got uh sobek you know i've got a bunch of these games that i need to get played and reviewed and it's hard to get them to the table because of well people wanting to play other things but also two-player games in particular are quite hard to do now i will be meeting up with a friend at some point to just absolutely give them all the beans you know like play them over and over and over again you know get some other people I've got game night this Wednesday as well so those reviews are going to come but until I get those played I don't want to start the two-player game uh, top 10 list because if they are good enough to feature on those lists I feel it's deserving to at least get them fully played and given the beans before I do those lists but it's coming it's coming it will be the next normal top 10 list that I do so it's it's going to happen it's just a case of it was a a bit delayed shall we say I can't think of anything else content wise other than the usual sort so you know still trying to look at doing a solo playthrough thing but I've been held up with other things I haven't even managed to progress with figuring out how to use the c-stand I've got a 4k webcam I've got the c-stand that uh, slicker drips uses but I haven't figured out how to attach said webcam to the c-stand in order to actually even start thinking about how I'm going to do it for a solo playthrough I really need to stop procrastinating with that I wish there was just somebody I could call upon that literally knew this stuff inside out and could just do it all for me. It's such a time sink to try and figure it out yourself, especially when you don't really know what you're searching for. So it's a tricky business, but I don't know. Maybe I just need to have sit down with Tom and sort of say, look, seriously, what do you have on your setup? Because clearly it's the same sort of thing. We'll see with it. Cool, blimey, I feel hot enough as it is. So events. Uh, just to let you know, the 24-hour gaming marathon was fantastic. It was a great success. Thank you to everybody who sponsored, uh, donated, or sponsored me. I say sponsored me. It's more accurate to say donated to the charity, really, because I didn't have my own Just Giving page. It was their page. But we we had the event it went without a hitch it was pretty hot it was a humid day and so there was a bit of like oh. although in the live stream room for twitch and youtube um it was nice and air so that was nice but yeah i went there and i did the full 24 hours 9 a.m to 9 a.m the full shebang and yeah i was flagging a bit on sunday i mean driving home was very tricky to do i then went to a barbecue at a mate's house and then i was flagging at that as well eventually i had to go home And not sleep because I ended up playing games online with uh, a couple of people, you know, our usual Sunday evening survival game thing that we do on Steam. But by the end of it, I was like, okay, it's 10 o'clock. I need to get sleep. I cannot keep my eyes open. So I got a good night's sleep and I recovered pretty much the next day. Maybe a day later, I was fully recovered. But yeah, the event was totally worth it. I mean, I played a lot of games. My Instagram is covered with all the games I was playing. And, you know, we raised over £5,000 for cots for tots that is greater than they've ever done they're now up to 16 pounds in terms of total raised over the marathons and of course they'll be back in 2023 and so will i oh yeah i'm doing it again next year 24 hours 2023 i'll be there and i hope to do even more of the live stream stuff because live stream stuff was fun you know, I had to teach uh, Outer Rim, which was a good highlight. We didn't finish the game because you can't teach four-player Outer Rim in three hours. It's impossible, but we all had fun. Uh, we did an Arc Nova game. That was really good fun. Uh, I remember winning that one quite conclusively. I forget what tactic I was using, but uh, yeah, I certainly enjoyed that one. Uh, what else I was on live stream for? I did the very final live stream where they needed somebody to quickly teach Sushi Go Party as a sort of wind-down thing. So I was like, fine, I'll do that as well. remember if there was any other live stream bits i did no i think it was just those three but like i say that's still a good what like you know seven eight hours of my time that i spent on that live stream so it was quite draining if fun but it was air conditioned so i always wanted to go there as you know often as possible but yeah played a bunch of other games met up with the uh, who's turn is it anyway podcast met up with some other like fans of the show some other you know gamers either from stores or from other clubs it was a good social event it really is quite a good one day con it's it's too far to travel for just 6 hours though that's the thing it's all the way back in the like west country area where i'm from nice to be able to talk to people without having my accent stick out like a sore thumb for a change but it's too far to travel if i was just literally going for a few hours of the day But if you think about it, when you go to a convention, typically how much time do you spend gaming at the convention if you include sleep? 12 hours? Yeah, 12 hours tops. You get up in the morning, you get somewhere early, and then maybe, you know, you might take breaks every now and again. But then you go to bed, you get a half-decent night. This is if you're being intelligent, of course. If you want to play 24 hours continuously throughout the entire con, then so be it. But don't blame me when your health kicks out. But yeah, you're talking 12 hours a day. So I'm playing for a full 24, so I'm technically getting two days worth over one day. So suddenly the journey's worth it, and plus it's for charity. Why wouldn't it be a problem? So yeah, great event. Thanks for sponsoring me. I'll see you in 2023. Okay, what other events were there? Nothing particular. Um, I had a brief uh, event last night where I went to a Warrior Fest, which was a beer fest in Portsmouth. It was at the HMS Warrior in the dockyard, and it was I was invited by my mate who runs the Dice Cafe, and I was there to teach games. It was, all oh, cool, Ooh, I get to teach games and drink different types of beers and ales. Yeah, I'll go with that. Well, I enjoyed the drinks, and it was fun having it on a boat. Game-wise, not so much. I kind of overestimated the clientele of who we were teaching games to. I mean, half the people there would be not interested, the other half would be drunk, and the capability of anybody to play any kind of game there would be pretty low. So even though I took some of the simplest games I have in my collection... Even they turned out to be too much for the most part. I mean, anybody who was playing games there was just playing like kids games or the dexterity stacking games and stuff. You know, the stuff I wouldn't generally play. So I kind of spent most of my time just sitting around and talking to people. So it was a decent social event, but uh, yeah... Probably didn't quite think hard enough about the fact that oh yeah maybe the games I'm teaching are not going to be the type of games I want to teach. I mean we I played like I played some just one with a few people and that was quite fun. Uh, but I mean before we started the event, I mean they wanted to play Flick of Faith. Uh, which was a flicking game you flick these little discs across a neoprene mat and you get points based on domination of certain areas and stuff it's dumb it's stupid it's garbage and it's broken like there are cards and powers in that game that are just outright broken not to mention the neoprene mat does not lay flat so you can't even have a fair like game uh, the game is stupid don't buy it flick a faith garbage not interested but yeah well, there's your quickie review so yeah quite a bit's been going on so what now? Well, there's no more board gaming events for a while. Uh, nothing planned for August. Nothing really planned for September either. That's not, you know, other than just personal social days. So I guess the next big thing is Essen. And I really should start getting emails out to the publishers to talk about, well, as Gen Con finishes, I really should get those emails out. So I need to find out what I'm demoing at Greater Than Games booth at Essen. I need to work out what I'm doing in terms of my COVID pass, because I don't know if my last year's one is still valid. I need to get the publishers to ask them for review copies slash meetings. You know, I've got to do a lot of that media stuff while I'm there. But things will be made slightly easier, or harder, depends on your perspective, on the basis that I'll be travelling with Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules again, so I'll be his lift. Cuts the petrol cost in half though, which is a really good godsend, not to mention gives me some company on a seven hour drive. But it means that we'll be sharing a room together, mm, love will keep us together, yeah not, not quite that bad, but yeah, you know, we'll be sharing a room um, in a much better, you know, slightly more cleaner accommodation than I'm used to staying in when it comes to uh, Essen, but... You know, it cuts the cost down a little bit, not to mention working for Gatorade and Games will cut the cost down of accommodation quite a bit. But, you know, usually I find that I've got so much spare time at the convention, like in terms of, I've done with the media stuff and I've done looking at games, I tend to help out on the booth. It really does help to get that subsidized cost against your accommodation. But yeah, the fact that we're sharing a... Uh, room together should mean that we'll be able to play some games in the evening, you know, have some fun, you know, go have, you know, go out for meals and stuff with people, like Patreon supporters of his Patreon, maybe even mine if there's any around. So that'd be quite good fun. Not to mention he'll have some games that are like the newest hotness, you know, that even I won't be able to get hold of. So it'd be good to jump in to play those. So that'd be good. And maybe if he wants to do his uh vlogs while he's there, because I was thinking about doing a vlog as well. But if we're sharing a room, we can't both do vlogs. So we'll have to kind of decide between us who's actually doing a vlog. Uh, chances are, if he wants to do a vlog, I'll probably just let him do it. But if he's willing to take a break, like he want, wants to relax a bit more because of his health, then perhaps I'll just do it. And I'll just have this laptop with a microphone in that here. And we'll see how it goes, really. It shouldn't be too bad. But yeah, it'd be good to do some dual vlogs with him. Because we did one when we came back from the last lesson. And that was enjoyable. Went on quite a while. Speaking of going on for quite a while, probably should get on with the next part of this show. So without further ado, let's talk about a game that I played. Uh, Oh boy, yeah, Um, not the best of games. Well, it's not bad, it's average, but uh, hear me out. The Transcontinental. This was, as far as I'm aware, it was a Kickstarter game. Apart from that, I don't really know much about it because it's not like I ever looked at the Kickstarter Designer Glenn Dresser and publisher Wheelhouse Games. I have never heard of Glenn Dresser, nor have I heard of Wheelhouse Games. So, as far as I'm aware, Wheelhouse Games. This is the first game they've ever made because so it's from Canada focuses on games with innovative mechanisms and thematically rich inclusive themes. Then why are you making a game about building a train track against Canada? Because that's got nothing to do with uh, innovative mechanisms or thematically rich inclusive themes. Seriously, what what's the deal? That's a lie. But, you know, so not much there. And Glenn Dresser, this is his first design. So, although it says designing board games since 2013, but then what are the other games? I mean, nothing that's been mentioned on Board Game Geek. So I'm kind of a bit confused with both those statements, but... As I say, this is a game I normally wouldn't go near, but two friends of mine have got it from Kickstarter. My other friend on Friday night, we decided, you know what, you want to play it again, I'll try any game once, let's try it. Couldn't be as bad as Imperial Steam, right? Well, it's not. I mean, 5 out of 10. It's not anywhere near as bad as Imperial Steam. It's average. I I liked it okay, but it's got some problems. So, this is 1 to 4 players. It says best at 2. I actually might side with that i think it does sound like it's something that's better best played at two um but this has well let's get on to the problems later let's actually get on to what the game is about so you are building a train line across canada and the idea is is that you have let's see if i can yeah here's a good example for a picture um you god come on there you go so you're building across this where these like pawns are basically although this is a this is a prototype it looks a bit yeah there's got to be a better version actually let me find a proper full-on picture come on has anybody got a picture of this uh that's not too bad we'll say we'll go with that for the moment but essentially you're building this track from left to right from west to east there are these tiles on either side of the track that represent places you can develop and they give you special actions whether they're undeveloped or developed but the track itself is worker placement so you have these telegram pawns that you put on the track to say right i'm going to do the actions of the tiles to the left and right of me there's a couple of other basic ones at the start and like near the end but mainly it's those ones and so what you're trying to do is that you're trying to load up uh, cubes of various resources on the train itself so a train goes Back and forwards and it basically triggers off all the worker placement actions in that order. But the train itself has different goods. I mean it has wood, it has metal, it can get navvies, it can get citizens, it can get wheat, you know, all sorts of those, and everybody is generating cubes and loading them on. The fact that this is a train game is a bit of a misnomer, really. This is more of a logistics game. It's all about getting the cubes on that train and then getting them onto the board. The train is kind of inconsequential, really, but by getting the cubes onto these various tiles, where you can see these little development squares, you get victory points, and you get to put one of your houses on said train, um, sorry, on said tile, which then allows you to like gain points at the end of the game for having certain symbols uh, from the tile like in your thing. But it also gives you an improved production action and potentially a way of scoring points by spamming a particular storage thing. Like here, you get to store five wheat and get another eight points. It's pretty vicious, You can get sniped down a lot, particularly in four players, and certainly it's not the biggest looker. I mean, the color art is okay, but yeah, the character artwork is a little bit on the uh, nightmare inducing side when it comes to the people, but I've seen worse looking train games, believe me. You can also play these ally cards, which are basically just characters from the era, and they give you a special ability as well as count for some end game scoring as well, but this, this book tries to say, oh, it's thematically rich and stuff like that. Really, the theme does not come out one iota when you're playing this game. I mean, the jokes that we had to the fact that I was getting a bunch of tiles that all had the beaver symbol on them or something was just going a little bit out of control. But they even give you a book, a pamphlet, to tell you about the history of the region, a bit like what Uri Rosenberg does with his. Look, I don't care, honestly. I mean, this is just a, this is just a logistics train game. I'm not... The theme is not com- is not being brought out by the fact that you have a navy for this site or that the beaver icon is on this farm or something. Yes, it may be correct to the age, but that does not make it thematically rich. This feels like a fairly dry game, just like pretty much most other train related games. So... It also has a timer where you, this bit here, uh, moves forward uh, based on a bidding round where you bid some of your resources. And depending on how much you get bid, this thing moves up. And when it gets to the end, that triggers the end game. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the gist of Transcontinental. Now, it's very meaty. And certainly, it's got very tense worker placement. And it certainly is like a quite a thinky euro. But there are a lot of problems with this, which clearly goes to show. That this is the first game on this publisher. Because I think any other publisher would have spotted some of these problems. First off, the scoring. It is woefully unbalanced in some areas. You have those spammable locations I mentioned. Where you can put like five wheat on and get eight points. The problem is with these. Is that you essentially have some of them that require five wheat. And uh, let's go back to the prototype picture. It's probably the best example to show bits here. So you've got one here that owns four coal. Another wants 5 wheat, and there's some others that want 5 citizens. They're not on this picture, but they appear. They're all worth the same amount of points. It is considerably easier to get wheat in bulk than it is citizens in bulk. You can barely produce 2 citizens at a time from a location, and there's only 2 tiles that even have it. Later on, you will have 3 tiles that produce 4 wheat at a time, and it's very easy for one player to have a house on both and produce 8 wheat on a single action. So why would you ever go for the location that spams 8 points for 5 citizens when it takes so much effort? If you can produce 8 wheat in a turn, you simply just spam the wheat tile as often as you can. It is repeatable, and you just get a colossal amount of points. There's also a resupply action where these trains appear on the line eventually, but start with they go in the yard. And in order to bring them into the line, you use the resupply action. When the front engine gets filled up with coal, you basically take one type of good from the, the yard, stick it in your yine, and, oh God, it's such a weird terminology, and you get a point for every single cube that was on those trains plus an extra two. You can do this at, like me at the start for, say, three to five points and be content with that. That's on balance with everything else. Or you could do what my friend did and end up with a situation where he produced so much wheat on one action that he was able to put like 16 odd cubes, you know, of wheat in the line, sorry, in the yard. And then he spends once a resupply action, puts every single bit of wheat in the line, and it scores him like 20 something points. It's ridiculous. It is so swingy, it's unbelievable, that rule. Uh, what else is a problem here? The investments you have investments where you try to get so many of these symbols for your houses at the end of the game it's almost impossible to fail them in a four-player game because everything gets developed here's the other problem the player scaling it's woeful it's all over the shop if you play this with two players it's the best way to play shortens the game time and you get the same amount of pawns as if you did in a four-player game in a four player game it gets ridiculously vicious uh well, actually, you get an extra pawn each but that's not the same as total pawns but yeah i think two players still the best way to play but four players everybody is going for these spaces i mean it gets vicious people are sniping you left and right it's punishing it's very contested for spaces but then everything gets developed And then in a three-player game, very little gets developed because there's not enough cubes going around the board in order to develop a lot of these tiles. So the investment cards become defunct in four-player, but they become important in the other ones. It's it's just completely all over the shop. And I really hate the fact that when you develop these tiles, all you need is one cube on there in second place, and you can get a house and two points. So, for example here, here's a tile here for the farm. It requires three cubes, it gives you four points if you develop it, right? So, if you have the most cubes when it develops and flips over, you get the four points and a house. If you are in four players, if you are the second highest amount of cubes on there, then you get two points, but also the house. So, I have to go out of my way to flip this tile, putting three to four cubes on it. Somebody else can just come by and just go, whoop, one cube, and they get half the points I do and still get the house. And the same applies for a bunch of these other tiles. You have to put in so much effort to be the one that gets the higher victory points from them. It's not worth it because you spend all your resources. And because very rarely does more than two people ever gun for a tile. I mean, look at this example. Nobody in this entire picture here has got more than two colors for a particular tile. Which means that you basically... And in our game, that was the same case. I think we had one tile with three houses on it and the rest only have two. So it means that basically all you need to do is to stick a cube on every single tile you can and just wait for someone to flip the tile. You may lose out on the house, but you'll always get the two points. But sometimes you will literally just get the house. And it's stupid. I mean, you should not get the house. It's too powerful to let somebody have that. Especially when this selection mechanic for developing requires you to pick a cube on this line, and then you put a cube down, and then you go from left to right, and if the owner of that cube wants to develop on the tile, they can. So it's entirely luck-based that you will basically be able to jump in on somebody else's development just because they're conveniently in front of you on the train line that's that's dumb it's such a dumb set of rules and that is the problem with transcontinental for me it it's not a bad game per se but it's clearly got some development issues with the balance and the player scaling and how things score and how the cadence goes that you can tell that i don't think this designer has done many games on bgg i mean it says he's done other game designs i don't know what game designs these are because i've never heard of you but clearly i think a different publisher would have seen through some of these issues Uh, It's not the best looker in the world. The components are pretty cheap for something that was a Kickstarter. In fact, saying that, how much was this Kickstarter? The Transcontinental... Stupid long title. Transcontinental Kickstarter. Was it Kickstarter? Let's have a look. All right. Transcontinental by Gundresser. So, award-winning. How can it be award-winning when it hasn't come out yet? Come on. All right. So, here we go. So, this was sold for uh 67 canadian dollars for about 50 dollars. so that's actually not uh, this is pre-shipping but no, i mean okay that's not that very that's not very expensive okay but if you get the what limited edition 250 oh wooden box and founders edition stretch goals whatever so okay all right so 50 us dollars plus shipping is not an expensive cost for a game maybe that's why a bunch of people did go for it because it was relatively cheap i mean this is in the days when they didn't cost an absolute fortune but yeah i mean the components are 50 dollars worth i mean they're not particularly great components so uh that's kind of the way it is but you know all these stretch coals are basically just useless things like uh you know a die cast metal train miniature whoop de doo an upgraded uv spot varnish who cares you know some bidding trays again who cares because they don't really do much for you in the game vacuum formed insert that should not be a stretch goal that should be a generic thing you put in every game so yeah i mean it's at the end of the day it's an okay game but yeah this one just kind of is just like meh you know i've got no interest really in playing it again if i play it again then fine it takes far too long for four players and i'm just not that interested so yeah transcontinental five out of ten whatever so, let's move on to some news, and let's start with the, well, actually, no, let's start with a drink. I am going to take a drink right now. Ah, I need it, because I am already, like, sweating here. it's already hot. That drink had ice in it. All the ice is melted. <laughs> Literally, just in doing that segment, it's all melted. But, uh, someone joked that they thought that the podcast is frozen every time I take a drink. So, I've got to go out of my way to actually say I'm about to take a drink now, because otherwise uh, it sounds weird on an audio version. Anyway, news, right, here's my favorite bit of news for the, actually, yeah, it is my favorite news. Um, Osprey Games have announced Imperium Horizons. This is a standalone expansion to Imperium. This is the deck builder with the divisive artwork, but I quite like the artwork. I think it's uh, interesting, stylized artwork, but this is basically, you know, the, the deck builder that I said I really like, but have a problem with its long setup time and its long play time. The short variant that is on BGG these days is pretty much the only way I will play it. And I'm hoping that they streamline a little bit of that this time. But what is Imperial Horizons? It is essentially more of the good stuff. So here you have to... What was it? It's a standalone game. Has 14 civilizations in it. Oh my word. I mean, the other games had, what, like eight? I think eight apiece. So you bought classics for eight and you bought legends for eight. So you got 16 in total, over two games. Here you've now got 14, there is going to be 30 civilizations in this game. That is ridiculous, all of which with unique play styles. Are there even 14 civilizations that we haven't even touched upon yet? I'm not sure I'd be able to name 14 more civilizations on top of the ones that have already been featured in the games. This is insane amount of content. Now, what it says is that it's compatible with Classics and Imperium, good. And it's also incorporating a new trade module that allows players to recreate all the intrigue, wealth generation and dynamic politics of a thriving economy. I have no idea what that even means, but hopefully that just means that they're streamlining or introducing a little bit of like quality of life improvements to uh, you know Imperium in general. But uh, I think there's also uh, ideas that they will tweak the rule book, make it a bit easier to learn, maybe tweak the solo mode a bit. So, you know... Some quality of life improvements would be good, but yeah, 14 more civilizations for Imperium. You bet I'm going to get this. I'll definitely review it. You know, if Osprey send me a copy of this, which they tend to do, they tend to send me stuff completely out of the blue, then I am totally down for, you know, playing some more Imperium and hoping that the changes they make in this version might make me say, you know what, this is the one you get even over the other two. It's not wrong though. about that time though, 40 to 160 minutes sixty minutes—it's ridiculous, although saying that, how the hell can you play this game in 40 minutes, that is complete rubbish, Solo cannot play this in 40 minutes, this is like a 90 minute game no matter what you're doing, so yeah, don't lie about the time length for games, uh, people, seriously, but yeah, I'm looking forward to more content, and I know a lot of other people are, this definitely has become one of the hotness at the moment, in fact, it's the second highest hotness um, on there at the moment, so yeah, fair enough. Although, you wanna know what people were going ape for more than that? A map pack. Yeah, I'm not kidding, a map pack was the next, uh, like, big thing that we needed to know, and that is Ark Nova, Zoom Map Pack 1. It's basically two more maps for Ark Nova. That's it, two more maps. It's just a little map pack. It's being released at Gen Con, though, which means a bunch of people are gonna have this, and I won't have it because I'm not at Gen Con. And it doesn't hint that it's going to hit retail or be available anywhere else. They haven't said. They better, because if they don't release this outside of Gen Con, there is going to be uproar. I kid you not. But I am hopeful that they're going to bring some to Essen, in which case I will definitely try to grab one at Essen, because more content is always good. But yeah, I mean, there is nothing about another map pack, I wouldn't lie. But could you just believe the amount of people that were going ape over this? You know, but to be honest... I want it too. I mean, I'll survive if I don't get it, but I really would like it. So, what are the two maps themselves? Well, let's see. We have, uh, we have the Geo the Rescue Station. So, this one. The bonuses on the left are fairly generic. Uh, you get two reputation as an instant bonus, though. That could be pretty useful, but fairly bland income generation. Uh, you're heavily rewarded for getting your workers out, uh, for a change, but. And the map layout is fairly standard. But the weird thing with this one is you have a couple of placement bonuses for digging for. So if the discarded card is an animal card, except for petting zoos, slide under your zoo at an on at an unoccupied arrow. So you have got these arrows at the top of your board. The animal with all its icons, yeah, the animal with all of its icons counts as in your zoo. Ignore the rest of the card. Right. Okay. So. Basically, as far as I can tell, it's like you you play over the bonus. You put an animal card in one of the free slots, and then those icons counters in your zoo for the purposes of other animal conditions, other like requirements and stuff like that. That's a pretty powerful ability. There's three of them. They're scattered on all corners of the map, though, so you are going to really have to do some ingenious building in order to get across the map like that. But yeah, that's quite cool. I'm interested to see how that would work. I'm curious about this one, though. This is a weird one. You've got colored segments all over your board and, you know, fairly generic bonuses as well. Although there is a weird, um, I'm not even sure what that bonus is on the left. It's got like a cube being taken off a hex. That's kind of odd. I honestly don't know what that is. Um, There's no rules on this board. So I'm hoping there's like a rule pack with it. But essentially with these shaded areas, they're colored by the continents. So once per continent area, when you accommodate a watching animal, when you accommodate a watching, that's a weird phrase, Uh, but when, uh, was it, yeah, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean, but yeah, when you accommodate an animal in its enclosure, gain one of these bonuses, right? So basically it wants you to diversify. So you've got Europe, you've got Asia and all that. And when you put an animal in one of these, uh, that is weird a watching animal that's what it sounds like down there it's really bad wording but you put one in there and so what happens is you get one of these bonuses so you can get one rep four money uh move an action card to appeal, uh, kiosk you know you get one of those five bonuses for diversifying when you get all five you get a bonus conservation point okay that's something different and i like the idea that it rewards you for diversifying rather than focusing on one particular thing. That might hurt you for doing conservation projects although maybe not i mean if they're mostly animal-based conservation projects then what well, does it matter what countries your animals come from so and this one rewards you heavily for doing partner zoos which fits in line with the map because naturally you're going to want discounts on a lot of different continents so you're probably going to want to get those partner zoos up although that means you're then going to have to flip your association card and i don't know how much well You'll use the association in order to get the partner zoos, and you still get rewarded a little bit for universities. So I guess this map would work with flipping the association card. But yeah, that's a tricksy map to build around. You've got water scattered everywhere, and then you've got the restrictions in the middle for build. That's certainly going to be interesting. But yeah, I want this map pack. Please give it to me. Why is it a Gen Con? Hmm? Why? Why is it a Gen Con? And then... I don't particularly care about this update, but I know a bunch of people probably will. HeroScape! There was a teaser from Avalon Hero that HeroScape is coming back. And that's basically all we know. So HeroScape was this giant game where you built this terrain diorama set pretty much out of like pieces and plastic. And then you took these various monsters and creatures and Marvel superheroes and stuff like that and you duked it out. So it was kind of like a skirmish duking game. It was expensive as all get-out. There was a ton of plastic. Half the game was basically building the map itself. And it took ages. It takes a lot of storage space. Tom Vassel makes a big deal about how much uh, the stuff he has. But we always thought it would never come back because it was too expensive to make. Well, Avalon Hill is deciding, no, 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 we can bring it back. I don't particularly care because I have no interest in really playing the game. But this is a lot of plastic. A lot of stuff. Can they really afford to make this? And this is Avalon Hill. Avalon Hill on exactly the... Um, kings of component quality are they so what's this going to be like with modern production methods and modern costs and stuff like that i foresee this being a little bit of a rip-off that is my guess that this is going to come out as some huge like selection of box sets or one giant box set and it's going to basically be stupidly expensive for basically a very niche audience so i don't have much hope in this making a resurgence but uh we'll have to wait and see really more drinking more drinking right so yeah not the not the best thing there i gotta admit so let's move on to another i tell you what let's go on to a review of something on my shelf so you know this is only going to be a quick one because it's only a small game i want to talk a little bit about sub astral sub astral is a little card game renegade games and i barely heard about it it's all appeared on a couple of reviews, and it got decent reviews, not outstanding, but it got decent reviews, but people made a big deal that it was an interesting little card game, it felt like a classic, and it was illustrated by Beth Sobel, so everything looks gorgeous. I mean, look at these cards. These these are such beautiful-looking cards. So, sub nice little small game. I've got it right here, actually, in fact, so you can tell that this is a very small card game. I thought, I'll oh, give it a shot, because it's less than £20, I think, and I thought, you know what? Art, that looks that good, I want to try it. So what exactly do you do well this is a basically a kind of set collection game with a twist so what you have is you have these six clouds that are laid out in a horizontal line and cards are revealed the card deck is built and you get a hand of cards at the start of these different uh, types of terrain with numbers on them and then there's a few that are laid out underneath these clouds what you do is that you play a card onto one of the clouds based on the number so if I've got a free card I have to place it on the free cloud then you decide to take a set of cards from another cloud but if you go left the cards go into your hand if you go right the cards go into your tableau journal which is how you score points so there's a funky little balancing act between having enough options to play on your turn but then also having any cards in your journal to actually score any points this game goes at a pretty quick pace i mean it does not take long for that card deck to run out and trigger the end game so you really are in a race against time here But I like that cool little decision making between the whole, I need cards, but then I also need scoring cards. And it's like, well, when do you go too much into one thing? I mean, leave yourself with no options and you could really slow yourself down. But grab yourself too many cards and it's no good because they don't score you any points. The way you score is that you build up this journal and you put them in columns of unique terrain. And you get rewarded for your two biggest column sets. But you also get rewarded for how many different sets of all the terrain you have. So diversity and majorities. But the trick with the scoring is that based on the order you collect the terrain columns, they go from order from left to right. The point value is considerably lower on the left-hand side than it is on the right. So if you have your two sets here, for example, like on the first and third column as they've got it. Each card in that set is only worth one and three points, respectively, because they're in your first and third column. But if you had the majority set in your eighth column, they'd be worth eight points apiece. So it's an interesting thing of, well, do I spam an early set or do I just try to get a decent amount in a later column? But then also the scoring for doing diversified sets is based on going from left to right without any gaps and scoring more the more you have. So... So at the top here, yes, you know, I mean, let's say they got all eight in the first row, they then look at the second row, and there's a gap in the second column, so they technically only have a row of one card there. It's an interesting like, way of scoring, but the rules are very simple, it looks beautiful, and it's done and dusted in like 20, 30 minutes tops, absolute tops. I think this is a really clever little card game, and I'm really enjoying it. If I have problems with it, that I think the player scaling's a little bit off, the... Uh, playing this with four players does make it a bit of a more lengthy game and a bit more chaotic with the cards that are in the middle three is not too bad though three is okay and two is very good two is back and forth you can see what cards are there you can tell what the opponent wants so you can really do a nice little tug of war sadly there's no solo mode but i don't know how you would do a solo mode in this but i'd be interested if they ever did so I've enjoyed this, it does feel like a bit of a classic card game, it's nothing revolutionary, it's not like breaking uh, boundaries or anything, but it's cute, Uh, sleeve the cards because that artwork is nice, the decisions are interesting, it's easy to teach, it's easy to play, it's very quick, it is a filler. Um, not quite top 10 filler material because, um, I'd already done that list, but it would have been in my teens, I think. It could have even been a top 15 filler. I do think that this is quite cool. I just wish it worked a bit better with more players. I think just a bit too chaotic at four players, but it's still an interesting game and, you know, I look forward to bringing it out every now and again. So yeah, astral gets a 7 out of 10 for me. If we, if the four player was better, it could have been an 8 out of 10 it's not breaking enough boundaries or like a revolutionary thing to me to give it a 9 or a 10 out of 10. But yeah, it could have potentially improved to an 8 out of 10. But as I say, it's still a 7. I still think it's good. Um, it's a filler. Uh, oh, it even says 2 to 5 players. Can it go up to 5? Oh, god, Yeah, it does go up to 5. I've never played this with 5. I have no intention of playing this with 5. It's already pretty chaotic at 4. 5 would just be ridiculous. Now, this is a 2 to 3 player classic card game, and yeah, 7 out of 10, I do recommend it, give it a shot, righty, let's go on to the actual main topic, because I'm getting hot, I'm running out of drink, and I don't want to give myself a headache from heat exhaustion, speak of the drink, aha, that was another drink right there, so, topic of the day, I owe another, I might need to do a refresher on my Patreon messages, actually, because I think I've almost used up the main questions i had but this one comes from the lovely ashley rose who's always commenting on my videos you know look forward to hopefully meeting you one day but yeah her question well she had two questions one of them was a request for me to talk about games that are sorry to talk about things other than board games like uh, tv shows i watch you know favorite books favorite game pc games and that I would like to do that. I can't do books because I don't read. But (laughs) I could certainly do TV shows, movies, MCU movies, Marvel Universe, uh, PC games. I could do stuff like that. But I don't think I'd do a full top 10 list for them. And I don't think I'd do them on a podcast show. I might do them as live Q&As. You know, I could say, I'm going to do a live Q&A, which is also going to include my top 5 or top 10 TV shows or top 10 of this, you know, and do some stuff like that. So I'll look into that. But the main question we're talking about here is you know what is your opinion on video games being brought into board games so one trend that we have seen over the last decade is that a lot of ips of video games are being turned into board games and usually by giant kickstarters which i've got to admit i'm not a fan of having them as giant kickstarters using the license as a uh crutch shall we say but my opinion on them they're very hit and miss uh yeah uh there's a thing going around when it comes to computer games that movie licensed games tend to suck and they do tend to suck. So in the same way that movie licensed games for PC games or like, you know, computer games suck, a lot of the times video games brought to board games, they tend to suck as well. And there's quite a few that have come out, but they're not. All bad. Yeah, there are some good ones that come through the woodwork. So let me just uh clear off my window that I'm sharing here. I'm going to have to borrow a few uh, website blogs uh, to help me out with this. So let's start off with uh, cbr.com. And one thing I have noticed with uh, these top 10s that some of these sites have done is that I get the feeling that some of them do not specialize in board games nor have played many board games because some of the stuff they put on their 10 is questionable to say the least but this is just so that i can collate a good quantity of games to talk about so you know for and that's kind of what i'm going to do i'm going to go through a bunch of games that were video games that have been brought to board games and give my opinions i haven't played up you know all of these uh it's more just like you know based on what i've seen happen in the market is kind of what some of these are going to be based on although I have played Doom. Doom is a fantasy flight game. This is a bit like the Imperial Assault style thing, like a scenario-based skirmish game. And with Doom, you essentially... Well, Doom takes players to hell. It's pretty much that. So it's kind of based on the third edition, like Doom 3 or whatever. No, not Doom 3. Well, whatever it was. The new Doom that came out on the PC. Um, I've played Doom. I've played the expansion. I've even played some of the DLC. It got too difficult, and I think I gave up. But i just haven't really researched it but yeah i enjoyed that phase when i was playing a doom game i mean it really is like oh my word hard as nails frantic brutal tons of things to shoot tons of gore gets a little repetitive which i think is maybe the reason i haven't gone back and there is one enemy type that goes around with a like sonic shield and a dog it can summon and stuff which drives me so nuts that whenever two of them appear i just think the game's overpowered but yeah i mean that aside this skirmish game is fine I played it, I think I even did a review of it, and I like it. It's it's a decent skirmish game, but the difficulty curve was a little bit all over the shop. I mean, it started off being stupidly easy, like impossible for the Doom player to win, and then it got to the point where it was just impossible for the humans to win. It really didn't scale the difficulty curve very well. That being said though, the theme is wonderfully represented with all the cool artwork from the game. So you are you are killing monsters, you are putting you are getting cool guns, you have badass characters, you have abilities, you have monsters. It does everything you really want from a Doom game. But that whole thing that it's played in a bit of a campaign mode sours me on it. It's not a game I would get to the table often, and I really think the difficulty curve problem like almost half kills the game. But I was glad to play it. I just didn't decide to keep it. Uh, But yeah, this is an example of a game that came to retail as opposed to Kickstarter, and I think it did better for it. You know, Fantasy Flight put this one out, and I think bringing them out as uh, retail first rather than Kickstarter, I think, is better. Although we'll get onto some examples where that's not necessarily the case. Right, another retail one. This is probably, I think, I'm going to say a guess now because I haven't looked in the other list in detail. That this is the best example of a video game brought to a board game that I can think of. And certainly, I think it's my personal favorite. Um, But I'll see. I might eat my words soon. But XCOM, part video game, part tabletop. Because it was one of the first to use app integration. And it essentially has a companion app that tells you all the rules. It tells you when the aliens attack, how they attack. Gives the results of all your moves, um, you know, and, you know, tells you what stuff comes out. It has all the sound effects. It has all the, like, the look and the feel of the video game of which I have played uh, XCOM 1 and 2. So, you know, it's a game I particularly enjoy, even if it's frustrating how your 99% accurate person can miss at point blank range. But, you know, this one uses the app integration wonderfully. It's a great app it it really does give you those sort of nostalgia berries for the game but yeah i think the game is pretty solid it's a co-op you are fending off the alien invasion you are taking command of a station one is like a squad leader one is the commander one is the research scientist each of you has your own little asymmetric thing that you're in charge of but not to the extent of something like root or merchant's cove so it's not like it's difficult to this is how you do asymmetric roles people okay Yes, you have an asymmetric style of play, but not stupidly complicated. That takes an hour to teach each part, right? Take note, publishers. But you work together with the app telling you how things go to pot. And yes, they go to pot pretty well. It's a bit on the lucky side because you're rolling a lot of dice for successes and hits but it just creates that theme it's a wonderful co-op feel you feel like you're on a razor's edge for a lot of the game and then you squeak out the win and it's very satisfying i still have it in my collection it teeters in the bottom end of my top 100 overall because it's not a game i would necessarily play solo all the time because commanding four stations is um tricky to say the least but you can play this with three or four players you'll have a good time because three players you could have one person commanding two stations that's not too difficult uh i think yeah i think you just have it that way but having one person per station in a four player setting is really cool but yeah this is a bit of a niche title it gets brought out mainly with the same three people that i've played it with but when we play it together we love it so i still keep it i've got an expansion i've got an exalt expansion for it It's just a really cool game. This is definitely an example where video games get brought and it's great. Alright, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. This is an example where it's not so great. Because this is literally that god awful mess, uh, Betrayal on House on the Hill, which I don't like with the boulder's gate slapped onto it and pasted up there i mean this guy says a mashup we didn't know we needed we didn't need this it's a stupid mashup it barely makes sense it's crummy components again it's the same mechanics it's still partially broken like the other game and the theme doesn't even come through you would barely even notice this is a boulder's gate thing this was a cash grab pure and simple end of story moving on uh Right, Bloodborne. I never played this big Bloodborne, so, uh, I mean, a little skirmish game. But I remember it having, like, quite a big Kickstarter, because I think it definitely was a Kickstarter game. And it sounds cool. I mean, I've never played the Bloodborne games or Deep Soul games or anything like that. It's, I don't think it'd be my style. Constantly fighting against a boss for the challenge, I think, would just get frustrating for me. I just about managed with Cuphead. And even then, I think I gave up halfway through because it was just getting a little bit frustrating, constantly repeating the same boss. You know, repetition is not something I want in a game unless it's like changed up in some way. But yeah, I mean, this looks cool, but the thing is, nobody talks about it. Honestly, it came out and it got Kickstarter because minis, 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 minis make money, 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 money. minis, money, 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 minis. That's pretty much the um, uh, the motto for every corporation out there who does Kickstarter. But the Yeah, nobody talks about it. I never see it being played. I never see anyone mention it. So, flash in a pan, Kickstarter, basically. But it's one of those occasions, and there's going to be more of them where it's like, oh, look, you've taken a popular franchise, shoved a ton of cool minis in it, and instantly it just prints money. This is what I don't like from this thing. You know, the idea that you're crutching so hard on this IP and so hard on people's FOMO instincts of, oh, look, pretty miniatures, that you don't create a game that's. Going to stand the test of time. And honestly, in the comments, I would like people to actually say, with any of these games I mentioned, particularly stuff like this, do you own it? Do you play it? Do you still enjoy it? Because I'm curious as to who is even playing this at the moment. I never see it played. Horizon Zero Dawn. All right, the fact that this even appears in anybody's top 10 clues that this list has no idea what it's talking about. Because granted, I've never played it, but this was a really expensive Kickstarter, right? And Horizon Zero Dawn, I've never played the game, but it looks beautiful. And yes, highly detailed miniatures, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And you build decks to advance through the game and defeat the machines. Okay, that sounds cool. The retail version of this is not a cheap game, though. And it gives you one monster to fight. One. Are you freaking kidding me? This was such a cash grab opportunity. The fact that you had to spend tons of money with all these Kickstarter expansions, which basically are just base game content that they've chopped off into little bits and sold to you for hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and they dare to give you a retail box with one monster in it. Mike Delicio put this at number 10, that is, um, I think it was like a, uh, oh, Gorgeous Stinkers, because it looks good. But, yeah, no, I'm sorry. That is a ripoff. Not interested. Pac-Man, is anybody crying out for a Pac-Man game? Seriously, why is this number five on your list? Gears of War, four out of ten. Who plays this game? Come on, Gears of War. I mean, nobody even really plays the Xbox game, as far as I'm aware. But, okay, yeah, so it's another. And, I mean, this is another problem with a lot of these video game, board games. They're the same game, I've mentioned Doom, i mentioned Bloodborne, i mentioned Gears of War. Technically, Horizon Zero Dawn uh, qualifies as this. It's all skirmish games of here's your miniatures on a map, go out, fight other people. You know, a little bit of innovation would not kill if you're going to nick a license and use it for stuff, people. I mean, you know, okay, Pac-Man at least is something different and uh, props to... Well, no, this isn't innovative because you literally just took the same game, uh, Betrayal on House on the Hill, and shoved a theme on it. So... XCOM is the only example so far I've talked about that is ridiculous, is innovative and different. So, yeah. But, yeah, Gears of War. Don't care about the Xbox game. It looks generic. Nobody talks about this. And in just out of interest, let's uh, pull a, a tab here. So, Gears of War BGG. Let's have a look. How, what's the ranking of this game? Okay. Gears of War. Wow, really? 557? This is the 557th best game on BoardGameGeek. No, no way. Well it's Corey Kineska, so maybe it did get a little bit of buzz and it's Fantasy Flight, but who's playing this game? I've never seen anybody play this game. Ever. Everybody ignores it when it's on shelves. Was it just the miniatures? Or has the ranking system just literally gone out of whack? I don't know i'm interested in know your thoughts people tell me about gears of war am i being too harsh from first impressions like looking at it or is it actually a good game let me know ah this war of mine ah, oh good yeah yeah i am eating my words xcom's not my favorite video game brought to a board game it's this war of mine it's gotta be nothing's gonna top that this war of mine i really want to play the pc game a bit more because I think I put it down for a while, but yeah, I just feel like I want to play it again. But this board game wonderfully captures the this War of Mine feel with the idea that you have a bunch of people surviving a war torn like yeah war going on, and it's thematic. It is gritty. It is dark. I mean, you could get triggered by some of the stuff that happens in this game, particularly in the days of the Siege expansion, but. It's tough, it's a little random, you know, you've got random card drawing, you've got random dice rolling and that, but it really does recreate the uh, the video game very well. It's not really to be played in anything other than solo mode, frankly. The fact that it can go up to six players is a complete lie. You could get away with two player maybe, but there is no reason to play this above two players. One player is perfectly fine, and it's one of my favourite solo thematic board games. It's just, it's a bit of a palaver to set things up and get going, but... Uh, It's worth it. I mean, that Days of the Seas campaign was so good. I really enjoyed that. Put this on with the This War of Mine soundtrack or other soundtrack that's basically just like acoustic guitar by itself, no other accompaniment. So it's like someone's playing it in a, you know, a dingy uh, house with no heating, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, this is such a good one. So yeah, this was a good example, actually. This is one of the earlier cases of a video game being brought to a board game. But yeah. You know, it's not perfect, but I just think it really... If you're going to take a video game license, you really need to capture the theme and the feeling of the video game. XCOM and This War of Mine do that beautifully. The Witcher adventure game. Did anybody ever play this and like it? (laughs) This was a waste of space. So, sorry, but it was. You know, I mean, I i haven't really played the witcher games i played like two percent of witcher free and that's literally it because i just could not be bothered with it not that i think it's a bad game it's just like you know it's just a lot but this was portal like obviously Check designing something for fantasy flight it came out and as far as i'm aware everybody found it dull generic long um pretty random or something you know and nobody really talked about this game ever ever again it literally came and went i don't think you can ever find a copy of it rank 3075 that kind of says it all yeah so this was a dud i think most people uh have agreed on this i mean i'm trying to look uh you know dice tower weren't big fans of it uh these titles don't give away a lot but yeah i mean this is um this was just basically a blah. It came out and it went pretty hard. As for the new Witcher game, the one that was on Kickstarter, I have no idea. I didn't want to back it because, frankly, look at this. I mean, it looks gorgeous and it could be a really good game. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, oh, look, look at my game. Look at my gorgeous miniatures. Oh, by the way, did I mention we cost $500 and it's an absolute waste of cash? Yeah, so it could be amazing. But I was not prepared to spend that kind of money on it and uh, fallout the board game not interested i mean all i see from people who play this game is that it's basically a random luck fest it's just a case of go to a place and see what happens encounter wise and it's stupidly long when i see people playing this they're playing this for like three hours plus way too long for a game that's random i have no interest in playing this one and to be honest i was never a massive fan of the fallout games anyway and do we even need to mention Fallout seventy six? All right, let's look at another uh, top 10 list. So some of these are going to repeat, but video board games. So let's see what we got. So we got Sid Meier's Civilization. So uh, yeah, I mean, I quite like um, the Sid Meier's Civilization board game. I've even got the 2010 version that FFG did. It's based on a video game, although you could argue that Civilization A New Dawn is a little bit more abstracted from it. But it does have that kind of Civ 5, Civ VI feel, whereas the other one has more of a Civ 4 feel. But, yeah, I really enjoy these ones. I mean, to be honest, you could portray them as any 4X uh, Civ game, really. The fact that it's got Sid Meier on the title doesn't really make it a big deal. But uh, A New Dawn is easily the best entry in the Civilization series, according to Dicebreaker yeah i agree with that i mean i like the 2010 version as well but i haven't played that in ages but i really like this new version with the expansion it's definitely quite cool uh doom we've already mentioned fallout we've already mentioned don't care resident evil 2 really um yeah the palava that went on with that kickstarter i mean this is the fade just because you've really got to be careful when a like an indie publisher or someone you've never heard of takes a board game franchise an ip from a video game and tries to bring it into a board game because you are really gambling hard on the kickstarter going according to plan and this one from what i recall was absolute hell for in terms of kickstarter and as far as i'm aware nobody plays this wretched game so what was the point of it you know resident evil 2 the board game ranking 3,091 yeah uh it looks crummy these miniatures look uh fairly pathetic compared to a lot of kickstarter games not interested and let's face it resident evil has kind of soured me lately because you know the films just got ridiculous uh the video games sort of got a bit out of control and do we even need to mention the god awful garbage that is the netflix resident evil series god that show is awful um you know, not something I'm interested in. Uh, let's see. Oops, it's crossing that one. Uh, XCOM board game. Yep, already mentioned. This War of Mine, again, already mentioned. Yeah, I like that title. Um, challenges players to make the best of a bad situation. That is about as clear-cut a, a description of This War of Mine as you could get. Portal, the cake acquisition game. Never played this one. Um, Is it any good? I don't know. And the picture literally just gives me a selection of cake. That is the worst picture you could have picked to show me this game. I really like the Portal computer games. I've played them both. They're great fun. GLaDOS is one of my favorite villains of all time in computer games. Because I just think she's like hilarious. Um, You know, it's like, like, we have done the testing. You are a terrible person. We weren't even testing for that. It, I, I love that voice. like It's kind of like a female howl. <laughs> with more of a sarcastic uh, viewpoint. I really love this character. The portal games are great fun. Just cool little puzzles that you got to solve. Some harder than others. Is the game any good? I have no idea. Never played it. I think I know one person who has it. But it's cryptozoic. So I don't want to put any uh, major stock in cryptozoic games frankly. But uh, the components look pretty shoddy. But is it fun? I don't know. I'd play it just for Nostalgia Berries. But uh, I'm not exactly going to put much faith in it. And certainly I've never seen anyone play it lately. So that is another thing. Alright, well let's have a look. uh, The Witcher Adventure game. The thing is, Dicebreaker don't know what they're talking about here as well. Because this is their top 10, right? This is a top 10. 10 best, right? Okay, I'm cool with New Dawn. I'm cool with Doom. I'm cool with This War of Mine. Resident Evil 2 is a bit... Um, hmm, questionable, but we'll go with it. XCOM fine. This one, mine, fine. Portal weird. Okay, but The Witcher adventure game. This is a game universally panned. It's like seriously. Sorry about the dog outside. Uh, nobody cares about this Witcher adventure game. How is this on the ten best adaptations? Rubbish. And the street fighting deck building game. Seriously, 10 best video game adaptations for board games. And you put a generic, themeless, cryptozoic deck building game on here. I mean, you could have at least put the one recently by Jasco. As much as that's probably got, me- like, as, well, as long as it, yeah, looks beautiful, Angry Joe did it. And as much as I love Angry Joe, I'm sorry, but the board game has got a lot of mechanical problems. But I'd rather play that than a cryptozoic deck builder, frankly. And Betrayal of Baldur's Gate, again, I've already said my thoughts on that. So, not exactly a list I would rely on to say 10 best, but, you know, there was a couple extra in there. Are there any more in this list? So, 16 board games that live up to their video game sources for digital spy. I am willing to bet these people do not play a lot of board games, period. But this is quite an older list. Ah, Dark Souls. Ooh, Dark Souls. There's no video there, but yeah, Dark Souls is one to talk about. You want to talk about, um, like, Kickstarters going off the chain? Dark Souls the board game went crazy on Kickstarter, it raised millions, it was one of the biggest ones out there, and the game is garbage, yeah, because this, yes, it may recreate the theme and the look, even if, whether you like the game or not, but this was a game where you grind, you grind for experience for hours and hours on end, just to occasionally get to a point where you may fight the boss. And then it's like the boss fights are okay, but they're nothing special. But you're grinding in a board game. That is not a fun thing to do in a computer game. I don't want that in a board game. The mechanics weren't that interesting. It was woefully overpriced because they basically just sold you on these miniatures, which granted look amazing. But still, this was not worth your money, not worth your time. It is ranked 2,680 for a reason. I mean, it's not even, I mean, there's only 600 in the thematic category. You can't even get this up the thematic chain. Not worth it. Uh, Bioshock Infinite, The Siege of Columbia, I have no idea. I've never played a single Bioshock game, and I've never even touched the Bioshock board games. I didn't even know this existed. Moving on, I guess. Anybody else played it? Bioshock Infinite? Let me know. Not the computer game. Let me know if the um, board game is going to Assassin's Creed. Well, the video games got super generic, and this looks super generic. So you're uh, collecting cards instead of scaling wolf tops. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? Um, players compete to find the best target, collecting cards and treasure. Who handles their deck? Uh, this looks very generic and target-based. Yeah, Assassin's Creed got boring on the on the computer, and it's this looks boring as well. Really, four decent. Tomb Raider The Angel of Darkness board game. You're telling me that this lives up to its video game source. Okay. Let's see what Board Game Geek has to say. Well, you know, let's see what the public have to say. Tomb Raider. Wow, there's quite a few Tomb Raider games. Uh, here we go. Tomb Raider The Angel of Darkness, 2003 game. Rank 21,181. Oh, yeah. Lived up to its source, didn't it? You lying bunch of. Ugh, I hate these. Sites that do this World of Warcraft, a board game. Never played this one. I used to play World of Warcraft a lot back as a teenager, like 15, 16 years old, when dial up modem connections were a thing. Yeah, imagine raiding when you've got to use a modem for the evening. It ticked off your family quite a lot. But yeah, I used to play tanks and healers mainly. I was a bear tank, I was a warrior tank, but my main character was a, a holy priest. um I think this was two to three expansions into the game I was playing it. And yeah, the holy priest, and then I think I tried a discipline priest as well. And I was—I always like being the healer because I like playing support characters. I don't like being the one that does DPS because that's just boring. It's like, Ooh, look at me—I got one hundred points. I got one hundred and three point six five DPS. You only have one hundred and one DPS. You suck, noob. It's oh, that is the mentality of a lot of the players who play DPS characters on these things. Me, I want to help the team. If the team succeeded, I'm gonna put part that some of that was due to my healing but then there's also somebody has to do damage and somebody has to tank that's why i like the tank character as well because you basically get to stand up to this giant monster and go ham at me <laughs> so, you know i play Vermintide at the moment and i play um the Ironbreaker dwarf in there with my mates because i just love being the one that basically gets to stand at the front and go everybody get behind me come on and talk to all the rats and just basically have this massive swarm trying to damage you and failing miserably it's like oh it's so much fun I've never played this but from what I have heard there are turns that can take 20 to 30 minutes to take a turn. Yeah this one looks like it went a little bit over over itself. It seems like it was like a dated product of its time. It'd be way too long for me to care about it. I mean it looks good. It looks like it does the theme pretty well but yeah it's clearly a dated game. Halo Interactive Strategy Game. I've never heard of this one. I never really played Halo apart from in the early days where i played multiplayer split screen now and again never really got an interest in the other halo games because they didn't really come out on the pc halo infinite looks bleh and the halo tv series was rubbish so yeah not much to say on that gears of war uh well i mean there's it's talking positively but let me know in the comments about gears of war uh doom this is the old doom gourd game Well, this is 2016. I don't think the new Doom refresh game came out at that point. But yeah, ignore this version of Doom. Get the recent version of Doom. XCOM's still great, and they mentioned Portal, the Witcher adventure game. I think they just ran out of ideas by that point. Okay, no, I, I scratched that. They ran out of ideas when they put The Legend of Zelda Monopoly on the list. Get over it. Oh my word. No. If you are a fan of the green-hatted one, you'll want to have Zelda Monopoly on your shelf. No, you do not. (laughs) End. StarCraft, the board game. Old game. Uh, Deck building, I think, was part of the thing. I'm not the biggest fan of StarCraft. I played the PC game for a bit, but the problem I have with RTSs is, is that you go up against players who have just memorized all the build orders, and it just doesn't become fun at that point. I played Dawn of War. In Age of Empires 2 a bit with some friends, but none of us are particular experts at the game, so, you know, we can just have a bit more fun with it. Uh, Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game. Yes, the original 2010 version is still really good a game. It's just pretty involved, pretty long, and pretty rules-intensive. But I still own it because when I do play it, it's a good amount of fun. I mean, it really does capture the Sid Meier's 4th edition theme quite well, so I'd say 4th. And it's, uh, you know, you've got some map exploration. You've got three or four different ways to win. Warfare, the coin, the tech race, and I think one other. It's a cool game. But, yeah, it's in a box that's kind of falling apart. And the two expansions obviously require extra rule sets on top. But I do recommend the expansions. I really feel like I want to get that game out again at some point. Plant versus zombies risks. Oh, God, you I'd re- fall Fallout Monopoly. Yeah, yeah, you... Re- Digital spy delete this page immediately digital spy this this is a very poor excuse for 16 games that live up to their fame when you've got to put two monopoly games on the list come on seriously so yeah uh generally that's my fault on a bunch of oh no hang on ah no there's another one i was going to talk about or oh, a couple actually very quickly uh cyberpunk um cyberpunk gangs of Knights. yes the the new Call cool mini or not kickstarter I have never played the Cyberpunk game. I refuse to play the Cyberpunk game because of how buggy and glitchy it is. You know, its launch does not make me... You don't deserve to take my money for a game that was buggy and glitchy and still kind of is at this point. So, no. You know, no CD Projekt Red, bad. But this was $110 for its normal pledge. And then look, here's all these expansions that we chopped out of the base game. And now they're $260 plus VAT, plus shipping. Are you kidding me? Why are people still giving cool you not money. I mean, did you not remember the Palava for Marvel's United or whatever that game was that basically tried to charge people like two hundred bucks to ship their game and didn't give any subsidy towards it? How do you forgive a publisher for that? Why are so many people? You know, what we got two thousand backers, two thousand backers for that. Four thousand people are still willing to give their money for this kind of thing. You've got too much money on your hands and i mean it looks like every other game that call many or not put out here's a bunch of miniatures i mean you can tell that the game is all just about miniatures not mechanics because look this is what you see on the page so here's cyberpunk it's got some artwork yellow box cool let's scroll down so what's the game about so there's a paragraph of story oh look pledge reward pledge uh edge right look at these miniatures miniatures, miniatures, look at these cards, miniatures, miniatures, what can you add to your pledge, look at all these expansions, expansions, badges, then how to play, and it's like, very short-handed version of how to play, and then it's just, look at all these different games, look at all these different games, miniatures, miniatures, look at the stuff, 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 miniatures, miniatures, reviews, people hyping up the game who aren't actually giving you a fair and honest opinion, for crying out loud, I mean, I I've scrolled through most of this page, like, in detail, and I still don't really understand how you're supposed to play this game. It's just typical cool many or not tactics. I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of them. So, yeah, I don't care about this one. I foresee that this game is going to be pretty mediocre. I don't see this making a big splash. So, yeah, whatever. And then, finally, yes, of course, I do have to, uh... Well... I don't call this hypocritical. I did only back this at the last minute and I think I've only done it as a group pledge because it was discounted. But I do have to hang, you know, hold my hand up and say that, yes, I have kind of gone on that front with Deep Rock Galactic. Deep Rock Galactic the board game yeah I played this a lot on the PC it is one of my most played PC games I love co-ops I think the idea of four dwarfs teaming up with unique abilities and weapons going out and killing spiders and bugs in this giant asteroid thing thankfully because they look like alien spider things they don't freak me out when I see them so it's not like arachnophobics are gonna have a problem with this because let's face it I'm an arachnophobic I can play this game fine though saying that a screamer Or screech or whatever it's called. That uh, spider-like bug thing that flies after you and grabs you. That thing has given me several heart attacks on occasion when I turn around and it's right there. So, uh, yeah, I do hate it when I hear that screeching sound. But, yeah, I have backed this. And it was a bit expensive on the Kickstarter. But this was kind of like a one-off, kind of like a present to myself. I got paid by a side client for some tax work. And I used that money to buy this. You know, this was entirely personal. This wasn't even uh, even partially Patreon funded for review purposes or anything like that. This is purely me. And I'll give it a review. I'll review it when it comes out. You know, I'll talk about it. But yeah, this was a personal purchase for my own uh, like benefit. But yeah, this one, you know, this one I'm hopeful is going to be good. I mean, it sounds cool. It's got some cool miniatures in it, but I wanted to recreate that Deep Rock Galactic theme. So I've got my class, I've got these various guns and stuff that they use straight out of the video game. You've got a modular map board, and then you've got the swarms coming after you that you've got to shoot while you're mining minerals and stuff, dropping flares. Ah, oh, this one could be good, but it could also suck. I mean, you know... Engineer's even got his little sentry gun there and you got bosco miniature this could be really good fun i uh, i'm hopeful that this game is going to be great i have all in pledged for this i'm getting everything i think even though i thought that the expansion that they're adding was rip off for the price but yeah i thought if i'm going to go into this i need to go into this big and i hope it's good i don't know how much it will retain its value if it's not but yeah this idea of having a four a one to four player co-op experience of the deep rock galactic pc game that i loved a bit this one i gotta admit was where i had to bow down and say fomo got the better of me and i decided to just back it so uh this and stellaris from last year are probably the two big gambles that i'm doing on there. and oh god stellaris I forgot about Stellaris. That's a really good point. Uh, Stellaris, the uh, video game, I backed that last year. A very expensive Kickstarter, but it's a a cool sci-fi 4X strategy game. Very complicated, but yeah, I backed this one because I'm hoping that Academy Games, who have pedigree to create these kind of things, can take this theme and give me a really satisfying 4X experience. Not the uh, best looker, i got to admit, components-wise, but it is Academy Games, but... Can you give me a fulfilling 4X experience that's not like Eclipse and not like TI4 in the Stellaris universe? I have hopes that they will, but again, this was a very expensive gamble. So, yeah, I suppose the best way to look at it is that I am not immune to the lure of a video game being brought to a board game if it's a video game I have a genuine interest in. But for the most part, I tend to resist them because, as I say, as I went through those lists, there were not many occasions of any that were considered great games, were they? I mean, even the ones that I said I like, that Doom game, the XCOM game, um, uh, what was it, the other one, uh, some of the other ones I mentioned, but, you know, none of them are games that are, like, top hundred of all time wordy for a lot of people i mean this war of mine is probably one of the best ones i mentioned and even then there's quite a fair few people that don't like this war of mine it's not like these are the most popular games around these are definitely more niche titles i think you know if you're going to get your full enjoyment out of these games you need to ideally be interested in the video game in the first place otherwise why would you have an interest in you know the game itself a lot of these games are riding heavily on their theme, and they tend to be very thematic games, which is one reason I tend to give them a look, because I want strong thematic games. But, yeah, it's it's always a bit hit and miss with the mechanics, and you can't be too forgiving in some situations. But, yeah, I've got two gambles there on the way, and I still have XCOM in my collection. I still have this War of Mining in my collection. So, here's to bringing more video games to board games, but doing it right that's the thing. you got to do it right. Whew. That's long. Corn cool. An hour and 17 minutes. That was a good, long topic. Thank you for that one, Ashley. <laughs> I hope that was a comprehensive enough one for you. But, yeah, I'm going to need to ask some more questions on the Patreon page because I think I'm almost out of um, podcast uh, topics to talk about. But, yeah until i'll see you on the next sunday episode basically so take care check out some more of the content on the channel if you like what you see please consider thumbing up the video subscribing to the channel particularly subscribing to the patreon if you want to help me out with review copies or just the running costs of keeping this going But other than that, just leave a comment on the YouTube video. So if you're listening to this in audio, then thank you very much. You know, glad to hear, you know, glad to hear from you when we go to conventions. But if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on YouTube as a podcasting, that's fine by me. You don't have to stare at my ugly mug all day. But let me know in the comments what you thought about some of these. What's your thoughts on SubAstral? The news I mentioned? Am I too harsh on Transcontinental? You know, Do you share those opinions? But mainly the video game topic. Did you like some of the games I mentioned? Do you love some of the games I mentioned I was harsh on? Have you backed some of the recent stuff like Cyberpunk? You know, does Gears of War actually a really good game and I was just being a bit too critical of it? So, by all means, let me know your thoughts. I'd be interested to know. And if I forgot any titles, like I almost did there at the end let me know and let others know as well. So until next time, I'll see you soon. But remember, regardless of whether it's a good video game adaptation or not, it's still at the end of the day, still only a board game. Bye for now, everyone, and take care.